want to make sure in the West that we don't get too over-reliant on medtech. So we need to make sure that you know we replicate our core competencies in all areas. So there's a strong need for us to focus on emerging technologies and underserved areas, such as maybe women's health, paediatrics, energy, agri-tech. So there's a lot more for us to do, I'll be honest, which is exciting because when there's lots of challenges, that brings lots of opportunities. The University of Galway has long been a leader in medtech, so it makes sense that Fiona Neary, Innovation Operations Manager in the institution's Innovation Office, created the country's first medtech accelerator program in 2018. She also helped build the BioInnovate program based on Stanford's Biodesign Innovation Fellowship, which puts would-be founders into real-life clinical settings to develop products for concrete patient needs. That program is set to expand across Irish institutions. But this focus on medtech isn't without its challenges. Demand, for example, has outstripped supply. And Fiona is also keen that medtech doesn't overshadow Galway's other opportunities in energy, agritech and construction. And indeed, Galway is home to Ireland's latest research centre focused on construction. We also hear from Fiona about the importance of US investors for Galway startups, the government's role through economic development agency Enterprise Ireland, and local investors like Atlantic Bridge, whose University Bridge Fund 2 is backed by the University of Galway. My name is Thierry Hillis. For the first time, let's look beyond the breakthrough. Fiona, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here. I look forward to our conversation very much. To start with, to set the scene a little bit, can you give me an overview of the Innovation Office at Galway with some headline figures, if you have those? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Terry. And it's great to be on this podcast today, sharing lots of information about our university from the West of Ireland and the Innovation Office. As you've introduced me, I'm Fiona Neary. So I work in the Innovation Office at the University of Galway. And for those of you out there that don't know much about the university, well, just a few insights. We were voted the Sunday Times University of the Year in 2022, and we rank among the top 2% of universities globally. We're quite old. We were founded in 1845, so we're one of the oldest and largest Irish universities with over 22,000 staff and students. We were also awarded the most biodiverse campus in Ireland and recently awarded first in Ireland for sustainable development, as well as much more research, innovation and commercial successes that you'll hear about today. So as for the innovation office where I work, we were set up in 2006. They used to be called industrial liaisons and we suddenly turned into tech transfer. And now most of us kind of call ourselves knowledge transfer or innovation offices because we cover a broad range of activities. But this was supported through the University of Galway and Enterprise Ireland at that time. So we've created a high-performing team of about 14 people with expertise in various areas from knowledge transfer, intellectual property management, legal expertise, industry collaboration, and startup supports, which is very important at the moment and very high on everybody's radar. So for us, the team really is all about creating impact from everything we do. We're in the middle of a very complex, dynamic, exciting, innovative environment with an overload of opportunities taking place. So like the community here depend on us to make it happen. So that's what we do. We get the job done, working with as many partnerships and stakeholders and world-class research 
we like to turn our innovative ideas into real life opportunities. So how does that stack up, I suppose, you're saying with numbers? So maybe the numbers always, I think, speak louder than anything else. So if I was to give you an idea of some of our headline metrics over the last three years, it would be we've created about 13 startups. We have done about 110 collaborative projects with industry partners. We have licensed about 42 technologies. We have about 27 patents granted. To follow on with that, I mean, our spin-outs are highly investable. We have 13 out of 13 of these startups invested already. And in the last three years, 75% of them have already achieved HPSU status, which is pretty good. We also support the Business Innovation Centre on campus. It's part of the remit of the Innovation Office. And we reside on three locations on campus, covering about 28,000 square foot. To date, we've supported 128 companies that have gone on to create 2,400 jobs odd and have raised about 1,715 million in funding and grants to date. So we're quietly doing very, very well. This is a great opportunity of the podcast to share some of these numbers and facts and stats more. So thank you. We're also pretty good in the sense that we get EU grant monies. So 75% of our spin-outs have also received EU funding from the likes of EIC, DTIF. So that's a very good number. We've been very successful in the West here. We also this year have run a very new program. It's called AIM Day, and it's an engagement model that's been created by Uppsala University, and it's been used in about 30 universities in Europe. And Ireland, Galway, to this week has been the first to run this AIM Day program, and we hope to model this out. So it's an engagement where you get academics and industry all together working and solving problems at the same time. So it's a really good model. There's lots going on. We have an InLight project where we're involved with nine other European universities. And even next week, we see the launch of the new Galway Institute for Clinical Trials, where we're seeking to transform the clinical research landscape in Ireland and delivery of clinical trials for all companies and for our spin-outs, along with our partner, Shielda. So basically, just to sum it up, you know, we drive, track, identify new inventions. We develop impactful pathways for them and provide the necessary training that they need. We lead out on a lot of initiatives and grow into innovative and economic development for the region. So a lot of our time is spent on deploying knowledge and training and providing legal and policy frameworks necessary to support innovation. So I hope that kind of covers what we do in the office. That is a pretty comprehensive overview, and I'm sure we'll dive into a few of those elements over the course of our conversation as well. I like the quietly having done really, really well, because I don't think Galway is on a lot of people's radars. It certainly hasn't been on mine until quite recently. So I look forward to learning more about how you've done what you have done. One thing that you did in 2018, you raised 1.6 million euros and you delivered Ireland's then first medtech accelerator called BioXL. What motivated this at the time? What has it been like so far? Well, that's a very interesting question and brings me back in time. So yeah, because we're not actually running BioXL now, but just I suppose it's good to give a bit of context here. So it was an extremely exciting time because we were breaking new ground. It was developing Ireland's first medtech accelerator along with partners such as Enterprise Ireland, the Western Development Commission, Bank of Ireland, and Colonel Capital. So the university developed and delivered this accelerator over a three-year pilot program. 
we selected 14 companies and we invested 95,000 in each of them. And these 14 companies have gone on to raise about 35 million, I think, to date. And they're employing about 63, 65 people at this stage. But the program was a challenge given its nature because it's not like any other accelerator. The usual accelerators will keep continuously running and running, but this needed more. A medtech accelerator or a life science accelerator, it needs more. It needs regulatory, it needs quality, it needs reimbursement, clinical data, clinical trials. The bandwidth and the funding that they require was a lot more. So we were getting along nicely, but then COVID hit. So that proved even more difficult. So it set these companies into a lot of difficulties at the time, but some of them did prosper, such as Hydromed Solutions, Blue Drop Medical, and GlowDX. But during this process, it kind of became clear to us all that this type of accelerator would take a lot more funds and a lot more people than were available at that time. And also, we strongly felt that this was something that was of a practical nature that couldn't be delivered online with COVID. So given those needs, we didn't progress it during COVID or after COVID. But we did have some amazing learnings for all involved. So I suppose for myself, while I was working on the accelerator, it became very clear that it was incredible working with startups external from the university. But I kind of felt it would be very beneficial to bring all these learnings back inside to the university and work this practical hands-on training into our own ecosystem and our own startup and our own research community. So this led us in the Innovation Office to develop a comprehensive set of impact training programs that we now run each year in the Innovation Office. So it was a great learning. Yes, it really does sound like it was. Can you tell me a little bit more about the training program for commercialization that you offer currently in the office? As most universities do, they all have a certain amount of research for their researchers and our budding venture scientists. But I suppose we try to capture it into three tiers. So we've called our program number one, Impact Series, Impact Accelerator, and the Impact Start program. So basically, the Impact Series is literally the beginning of your funnel. It's to a large cohort of researchers who are beginning their commercial or innovative journey. And it's trying to, you know, give some basic business skills and let them to know the supports that are available there for commercialization and progressing their research. And it's actually interesting because it's now become a transnational program through some EU funding instrument that we got funding that's now called Innovate to Create. So we're delivering this in partnership with the ASTP and some other European universities as well. And it's led by us in the Innovation Office. So it's really good. Our next program then is Impact Accelerator. And this is where we've kind of bring down the funnel to a smaller group of people who actually have a business idea. And we take their research idea and evaluate it, validate it, and bring the business case and commercial pathway by using innovative needs-led models. So we deliver a comprehensive package to them that's very practical. And usually it challenges the venture scientists to think about their research in a completely different way. So we turn literally everything on its head. We completely tell them that this is the way to do it or this is not the way to do it. So sometimes it can be, you know, quite close to the core because academics probably like to think very technical. We like to think very business. So we have to meet in some stage. So this accelerator can give them a clear pathway of the next steps that they need to commercialize their idea or their technology. And then the third program we run is called Impact Start. And 
literally, as it says, it's kind of closing the loop. So we've done the early stage, then we do the technology stage, and then closing the loop, we are trying to enable these technologists to either protect, license, or create the startup. And again, all these startups, hopefully with the potential to scale and grow. And this is aided through the, hopefully, the latest knowledge transfer funding call, where we hope to expand this startup training even further through our spin-out development managers. So we'll be covering, you know, much more intensive training for all our startups, hoping to boost the spin-outs and aid them to reach HPSU level and get seed investment at a much faster pace than we have in the past. So these three programs, they're going well. Lots more to do, lots of opportunities, but it's all pretty enjoyable. (laughs) It sounds very enjoyable. It, It doesn't sound like you're not liking the job. Nope, I wouldn't be there. I love it. We'll get into more opportunities and challenges in a second, but I wanted to ask you about Ireland's national IP protocol as well and how important that is for Galway's strategy. The national IP policy and framework for research commercialization, it's provided universities with best practice guidelines and expected norms for all research-related engagements between industry and state-sponsored research. So basically, it transformed the model of commercialization. So now for us all, there's a very clear process we're all working off the one hymn sheet with no ambiguity. Now, I say that, but there's always one or two that will be different rules. But generally, this protocol has enabled us to maximize the economic and social benefit of commercializing research. It also enables enterprise to access and exploit our IP on terms that are fair. You know, fair value is the most important thing for them. It's also standardized model agreements for all our legal supports to use. And this was a great addition and these were developed by Knowledge Transfer Ireland, Alison's group back in the day when they set up. So it's fantastic to have that resource and it's, you know, openly available to all. So for us, I think this national protocol, it's provided simpler and easier access to industry and academic community to engage more effectively. And the innovation offices, I suppose, serve as the interface between the industry and academic research making sure that there's high standards and providing sound guidance and governance along the journey. Amazing. What is it about Ireland that means this was created in Ireland rather than, say, the US that is typically seen as kind of the leading nation for anything tech transfer? Yeah, I think we have a very slick and very organised government agency system with the likes of SFI, Enterprise Ireland, supports for research, government initiatives. And I think that's just made us open up in collaboration, innovation, getting projects underway. It's really enabled us to open up the world of research to the world. Basically, our research is out there. We wanted to get out there. We wanted to, you know, save lives. We wanted to be used on patients. We want to be the next Google's Facebook and whoever else we can. So I think this mechanism has enabled all our universities to get our research out there. Yeah. Speaking of working together at a national level, Galway joined forces with Trinity College and University College Dublin and University College Cork for the Atlantic Bridges University Bridge Fund too. What motivates you to join for the second fund? Before we joined, we actually had a very good working relationship with Atlantic Bridge, but we saw the benefits. They've been you know, hugely supportive. They've invested in many of our startups, such as Atrian Medical, Neurant Medical, Timphony, One Projects, many more, Siren. There's lots. So I think it was inevitable when 
they came to the university and said, we're doing another round. It was a no-brainer. I think it was automatically going to happen because the university, they have set up an innovation office. They are supporting research and commercialization and the startup community. So they wanted to do their part in investing and supporting our startups. So yeah, they invested 1.7 million into the Atlantic Bridge Fund. And now at the moment, we've built a great relationship. We do regular office hours with them each quarter with Atlantic Bridge and with others. And I think this has been a huge, very important step for our venture scientists because it gives them firsthand insights into the needs of the investor, meeting the investors early, knowing that it's not going to be their investor pitch, meeting them earlier, getting advice, getting connections to the community of networks that the investor has. So building those relationships has been very fruitful and very rewarding for us all. So yeah, so we love that model of engagement, relationship building, and it's actually rolling out into a lot of other investors are starting to see the benefit and knock on doors to try and do the same models. Amazing. Speaking of other investors then, how has the funding landscape changed in Ireland over the past few years? I think the landscape has changed a lot. You know, we're very welcome to all the early engagement with the investment community. But I guess they know so much more about us and our technologies and our environment that sometimes this can lead them to wanting more. Now, I say this in a good way, but it means that their needs are higher, that they want more, that they expect more. Yes, yeah. And sometimes their valuations can be lower because of this, because their expectations can be a little higher because of familiarity. So this has probably, I would say, led to some of our startups to look at investment outside of Ireland as well. There's a lot of them looking to the US for investment and looking to where they can maybe take part in some external accelerators or meet other investors and look for higher valuations. But personally, I think that's good. Competition is healthy and the more investment you know, we can bring into the ecosystem and create a better, higher class of business, creating jobs, you know, the better for us all. I think another thing that's working very well at the moment that I see when we meet all these investors is investors are talking much more to each other nowadays, especially in Ireland. They're not in competition with each other. Sure, I'm sure there's a little bit of it, but I think I see the investment community willing to work with other investors in building around for a startup. So if there's a two or three million round to be built, they're happy to engage with other investors in the community to try and get the seed round in place as quickly as possible and to work with, you know, similar type of investors in specific sectors. That's working really, really well. And I like to see that. And I hope we'll see more of that. We're also very lucky. I'm not sure if you're aware in the West of Ireland, but we actually have a dedicated regional fund from the Western Development Commission who support and invest with an evergreen fund in the form of equity, finance, loans to business and work various strategic grants for companies that are based in the Western region of Ireland. So that's really good. So, you know, you've got Enterprise Ireland, you've got the WDC, and then you've got the investment community. It all works very well. The WDC, they're actually based on campus with us. So gee, they give great support to all our companies. So it's fantastic. And I guess we have to remember that investors are one thing, but we have super supports from our agencies like Enterprise Ireland and Knowledge Transfer Ireland have transformed research and commercialization opportunities through providing funds for feasibility studies, commercialization funds, innovation partnerships. 
right through to HPSU investment. So, you know, between EI, SFI and EU investment, we're all on the same path of creating a massive knowledge economy and forming companies and job creation for Ireland. So, yeah, at the moment, it's all working very, very well. Wonderful. It's interesting that even with companies being willing to go overseas, that Enterprise Ireland and Science Foundation Ireland, like they are still key core components of the ecosystem, as well as your regional fund, which I didn't know about. I'll admit, I, I hadn't come across that one. So that's really interesting to hear as well, actually. Yeah. And I mean, Enterprise Ireland have offices all over the world. And when I say they're extremely supportive, you can go Boston, Asia, Australia, and you will find an EI representative there <laughs> ready and willing to support you scale and grow your business, you know, into other regions. So yeah, it's great the supports that are there. Is there a good mix of equity funding available on Ireland between angels, VCs, family offices or corporate VCs? I guess there is a good mix, but at the moment, there's such a huge volume of opportunities coming out of research from the universities. So we're all fighting for the one pool of investment. So I think although there is lots of investors involved in lots of different areas, you'd have to say there's never enough. But I do think the EU has made, and EU funding and grants has made a significant impact where they have done the EIC, the DTIFs, along with investment. And this has been tremendously supportive in de-risking some technologies for the investor community to enable them to maybe move faster with their investment, get better returns, maybe circulation of more money into the economy and the investment side of things. Yeah, so it's a very good mix at the moment of EU and investment. But again, there's room for more. I'd say if there's investors anywhere around the world listening to this, come on in. Ireland is very full of opportunities and we'd love to share as many as we can with you. Yeah, don't take this as a sign that Ireland is full. There is always more opportunity. <laughs> on that note then, what are some of the strengths in Galway's ecosystem? Galway is a hub for innovation, creativity and collaboration and I'd say when most people think about Galway, they think of, you know, the cool student life. Every student wants to be in Galway. We also have world-class research, vibrant startup community. We have major strengths in IT and medtech expertise. You know, we're globally renowned for medtech expertise. One of the things I love in Galway is it's the strong sense of openness and curiosity and connectivity that we're most proud of. Everybody is willing to work together, talk together, engage together. And I think for us in the innovation office, we've also built, with this openness and connectivity, we've built a, a significant amount of organizational competencies. And we're hoping to work these competencies even further with the next phase of knowledge transfer funding. So we've set ourselves very ambitious goals in the innovation office for the next few years that we feel we will be able to deliver because we're world class at a lot that we do. So for the next four years, we're hoping to develop about 20 new spin-outs, 70 more licenses, 200 industry collaborations, continue to support the likes of our BioInnovate program, which has been a huge success in Ireland. We've already created 30 spin-outs from that program already. So this program leads us to be at the forefront of life sciences. And the program is like, you know, it's created such a multidisciplinary pool of innovators. It has helped to create and shape the future for healthcare globally. So there's a lot going on in this space. I guess one of the other areas that we're quite good at is looking to see what the needs of the region are. We look outside our own university, we look outside our own community, 
And again, we have WDC who support the region and we work with them closely. And I mean, one of the needs we have seen as well would be to develop a life science hub for the region because there's just not enough space. There's not enough wet labs. There's not enough supports for life science and strong biomed and that area. So we're lucky enough to be working with WDC and Enterprise Ireland on a project scoping out a new life science hub for the region. So that's another good strength that we have. I think if I was to look at the university, I mean, I'm sure I could keep naming strengths that we have all day, but just to maybe highlight a few, we've got really strong sectoral research centres. Some of them, like, for example, the LAM Institute of Translational Research, Quorum for Medical Devices, Insight for Data Analytics, AMBER for Engineering Materials, Clinical Research Facility, Clinical Trials Institute, and it goes on. There's many more. And I think another thing we've been very good at is getting EU funding and looking at new initiatives to support innovation from a global perspective. Recently, we were awarded the Atlantic Futures 4 million innovation program under the government's North-South research program. So that's really good. Our own university has invested 5 million in marine and energy to create some global challenges internally. And that's proving to be really good. Very recently, Construct Innovate is the newest of Ireland's research centres for the construction technology and innovation industry, where in Galway we're hosting this 5 million industry-led technology centre programme. Look, as I say, I could keep going, but I hope I've given you enough of a teaser and some highlights to show that we have very strong competencies in a lot of areas. And you have a very innovative and enthusiastic innovation office that's happy to work with all these areas as well. Yeah, you certainly managed to pass along that message. You mentioned that you were working on more wet lab space. Is there anything else that is missing from Galway currently? Is there enough talent going around? Is there enough other incubator space? Well, I guess the few challenges that I would see would be, we probably are the only university that has specific wet labs. So we do see that demand has outstripped supply. There are others in the ecosystem. There's Portishead, GTC the new ATU, all providing fantastic support. But what I would say is the demand has outstripped supply. And the area that we're focusing on in the university is the life science. And we're actually doing due diligence on lots of buildings, looking for investment. So we're hoping that project will go ahead. And I know there are other areas of weakness, such as infrastructure, access to talent and investment. So all these are kind of all encompassing the same thing, space, infrastructure, talent. There are a lot of initiatives and a lot of projects been worked in that area. So hopefully in the next few years, a lot of these challenges will be overcome. But there's one or two things that I suppose just to highlight as well. We want to make sure in the West that we don't get too over-reliant on medtech. So we need to make sure that, you know, we replicate our core competencies in all areas. So there's a strong need for us to focus on emerging technologies and underserved areas, such as maybe women's health, paediatrics, energy, agri-tech. So there's a lot more for us to do, I'll be honest, which is exciting because when there's lots of challenges, that brings lots of opportunities. So bring it on, I say. Let's get going. More opportunity for creative solutions as well and keep you engaged in the job. How does your engagement fare in terms of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Do you track those numbers? Well, I guess for us all at this point in time in life and this area, we all have a deepening awareness and understanding of the substantive changes 
and the university is no different. So we actually have an equality, diversity and inclusion strategy in place. And this provides a framework for us to drive specific actions in this area. So to give you an example of one of them would be each year the university runs a program called Aurora, which is a female-only leadership development program run by Advanced HE. And what it does is it brings together leadership experts and higher education institutes to take positive action to address underrepresentation of women in leaderships, to address if women are being underrepresented in this sector, we need to look at that more. So it's a great program. I myself, I'm part of a network that's called ITAG. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's the Innovation Technology Atlantic Gateway Network. And as part of that network, I co-developed and delivered a female coaching for success program. And this is run yearly. And what it does is it's encouraging and enhancing females in STEM to progress into leadership roles and helps them to advance their professional development and career pathways. So I'm very proud of that. And that runs each year. That's cool. It's great. I suppose in the innovation office, this I'm really happy with. We always encourage female entrepreneurship and there's always a great balance. I have to say in the last few years, there's a fantastic balance in our programs of female to male and other. It's brilliant. So one of the facts that we're very proud of in Galway and in the innovation office, out of the last 31 startups we've supported, 12 of them have female founders, which equates to 38%, which is a really high statistic when you look at it at a global level. We are doing very well with female founders, female co-founders, females in high level of leadership, but we are going to continue to drive this because there's more work to do here and we're happy to do it, but we're doing good so far. Yeah, those are really good numbers, actually. Is that high percentage because like, the virtuous circle has almost started for Galway, like you have the role models of previous founders that have come along? Or is there something else that means that female founders engage more with you than perhaps at other institutions? I'm actually delighted you asked that question because it was one of the next things I was going to say. Perfect. I think one of the programs that has led to this and created this environment has to be given to BioInnovate, the Stanford needs-led model that we're running. And this is where you can create a multidisciplinary group of teams that come together from all different sectors and they're put into teams immersed in environments in the hospitals, looking at needs. But I think as part of the recruitment process, there's always a great balance of male to female, of expertise, you know, across the board. And I think this has helped because on teams, there's always very good, solid, strong women in leadership, as well as men. So I think that program has definitely helped to create a lot of our female founders and co-founders. So yeah, that's a good one. I want to look a little bit at your own career as well. I know we've already talked a little bit about BioXL and your achievements there, but you joined Galway in 2002. You've covered various roles in that time. What first piqued your interest in, in this area and what has kept you at Galway? Oh, sometimes it's great to talk about other things, but it's kind of hard to talk about yourself, isn't it? But anyway, I'll, You're in the hot I'll, seat I'll, now. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. I suppose I was brought up in a family business, so it gave me a good respect for hard graft. My parents were in the hospitality sector all their lives. So it was an environment of 24-7. But as a university graduate, I did go and take the multinational experience and gained many years experience in medtech and the IT sectors. But after a few years in the corporate world, being a global number and a piece of a pie or a cog in a wheel just really wasn't cutting it for me anymore. And money and bonuses and travel just wasn't a motivator for me. So 
I decided I wanted to get my hands dirty and do a job from start to finish, not just one piece of the pie. So around 2002, that time, I decided that I had to make a change. So of course, the plan was to start my own business, hence why I'm here working with startups today. I decided to start my own business and while working on my own business plan, I was asked to cover a maternity leave in the university working on collaborative projects between industry and the research community. And hey, presto, I'm still here 18 years on after covering the maternity leave. A very, very long <laughs> nine months, yeah. But, you know, I class myself as very lucky because I get to come to work every day doing a job that I absolutely love. I get great satisfaction about helping other people. I'm very good people person, customer focused, and I love being a business expert and mentor. And also I find being part of the innovation office and innovation ecosystem in the university for the last 18 years, I've been privileged to see lots of gaps in the system and to be part of implementing new initiatives that have helped create solutions and new innovations in a supported environment. So I suppose basically for me, what's not to love, you know, that's why I'm there. That's why I've stayed. It works well for me. Yeah. What are some of the changes that you've seen over these past two decades or so? I guess I think at this stage, you know, I've seen, I think about four presidents at this stage in the university and all bringing their own touch and feel and elements to it. And I think all is good. They've all brought something new and novel. But I have seen that the tide is changing from understanding more the impact of getting research to the outside world. And I think that's one of the changes that I was really, really strongly committed to and making sure that research wasn't just research for the sake of it or not just for educational purposes or not for just delivering a PhD that there were good things that could be done for lots of people. So I think for me, the environment at the moment is very clear in that direction. It's very clear that research has an impact, that everything we do must have an impact. And hence, as you can even see what we've called our three training programs, Impact Series, Impact Accelerator, Impact Startup. So for me, everything is about driving impact. The current environment in there completely understands it, completely gets it, doing massive research and all with great impact. So I think that would be the biggest change that I've seen is driving that impact forward. And that's the way we have to go. And the funders have also enhanced that because to get all this funding now, you must have impact. You must create something. You must deliver something. And it must have either a social or an economic benefit in some way be it from open source technology to saving patients' lives or a new stent. So there's a whole mix in between, but it's as long as it's impactful in some way across the board. A very positive change. What is the noteworthy challenge that you've overcome in your career? I guess it's working with the academic community and getting them to understand the needs of industry at a more impactful level. So, you know, we have a host of technically brilliant academics and sometimes that's where their thinking stops is in the technical side of it but trying to challenge them to see that what you're developing is a technology it's not a product and it's not going to have a huge impact so let's work with the industry let's collaborate let's bring all the pieces of the puzzle together and gel together to create something amazing so I think that's quite a big challenge but I do know the people that I work with see that and hear that and understand that 
And I guess my philosophy in life is it's not trying to change everyone. Some scientists will be scientists. Some venture scientists will be venture scientists. And it's just to work with the people who want to create that change and look at the full spectrum from technology to commercial to social good. So, yeah, that's probably the biggest challenge I've seen. Can you give me some examples of portfolio companies? I know you've sort of mentioned a couple of spin-outs over the course of the conversation so far. In the innovation office, I suppose at any one time, we're always prepping about 15 companies at any given time to showcase to investors. So, you know, I'm always working with these budding entrepreneurs and I have such great respect for them because they're working, they're giving their life and soul to emerging technologies, patient care and saving lives. So we're very impressed and we're very proud of our successes to date and the successes of these startups. And we probably really have a host of good news stories. And, you know, just even to mention a few of them would be like we had two amazing acquisitions from Embo Medical and Vitex Medical in the last few years. And these founders have come back to the system and they continue to support and inspire the current and future entrepreneurs. And to me, that's what a true entrepreneur is. And I love it. Another company, Nurn Medical, they recently closed their Series B round with 20 million investment on their rhinitis technology. And they're now employing 45 people locally after a few short years, which is phenomenal. Last year, one of our business innovation center clients that was a spin into the university that came into the center from external, they were acquired by a US-based fitness solution company for a figure in excess of 200 million. Another company, Bluetop Medical, they have raised about 16 million to date and they're working on a diabetic foot ulcer technology. And they're at the moment looking to create 25 new jobs. So, you know, doing great stuff. I could keep going. I have, you know, Hydromed Solutions. The founder there, Suzanne, she's a sufferer of this chronic wound condition called HS. And she's gone on to create wound care solution called Hydroware, which is already selling Luminate Medical. They're working on a technology for prevention of hair loss post-chemotherapy. And this week, they're starting their first in human trials. Relivium, working on chronic pain solutions, starting with the knee. Again, been very successful in raising um, research grant funding through SFI and the EU. So again, it's not all about the money or the selling. It's about they've created this fabulous ecosystem that is, you know, working together and happy to engage and connect. And it's just a lovely ecosystem and environment to be in at the moment, working with the startups. Yeah. And I'm sure if any investors are listening, that you'll be easy enough to contact if they want to know more about any of these companies. Absolutely. You're very welcome to Galway. That brings me to the end of the questions that I had. But is there anything else that you wanted people to know before we go or something that you wanted to reiterate? All things been equal, if I was to sum up the ecosystem that puts Galway on the road to success, I'd say it's its collaborative approach to economic development and mainly the people that drive it. We have a leadership and entrepreneurial ecosystem that's continuously giving back. And I think that's what makes us unique here. Galway is small on a global scale, but we're enormous in connectivity. And I think if we continue to work with private, public and community sector players, Galway will continue to move mountains as a global leader in many, many sectors. So I think that's as much as I can say. I hope I've done the university, the ecosystem, the innovation office justice here today. And I'd just like to thank you, Terry, for giving the Innovation Office 
in the University of Galway this great opportunity. And I really look forward to tuning into some more podcasts in the future from you as well. So thanks a million. It's great. You're very welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Brilliant. It's been wonderful chatting to you and learning more about Galway. Beyond the Breakthrough is hosted by me, Thierry Hayless. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. The podcast is produced by Global University of Entering, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find our website at globalventuring.com forward slash university, on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing, and on Twitter as GU Venturing. You can reach me directly at thales at globalventuring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-S at globalventuring.com. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and go peruse our archive of more than 100 episodes. If you're already a fan, why not make sure to share this podcast with your colleagues? If you've already done that, thank you. And thank you, as always, for listening. Until next time, when we'll be talking to Mark Mann. And here is a little preview of that conversation. I, right, this is what I would change. I would separate the role of technology transfer and being the intellectual property police. There you go. In most universities, they are one in the same. And that is a massive conflict of interest, which the technology transfer profession has never properly dealt with. So you go in there, you go speak to a professor, professor saying, I've got this really good idea and I want to do this, this and the other. And, say, and then you have to go in there and say, excuse me, you can't do that. That's mine. You need to separate those roles out. Some universities do, some universities don't, but most universities don't. And I think that is one of the things that causes the greatest level of friction with the academic population is this fear that if they tell you something, you're going to try and steal something from them which they think belongs should belong to them.